My name is Sora Bayat. I'm the community manager of uh, ICK, and I have the honor to have an interview with Edward Lloyd. Hello, everyone. Edward just had a very long day of rehearsals. How are you doing? Tired? Good? Good. Good. <laughs> He's a professional. You can handle it. <laughs> um, some of you might have already received our newsletter. And in the newsletter, um, there was already an interview with Edward where he answered a few questions. Um, we will get to know him even better in this uh, series that we, uh, that we call um, Meet the Dancers. Um, in the interview, there was one statement that jumped out that I want to um, uh, address. And you said, dance, my overall opinion is that dance is a bit like an identity crisis. It all seems a bit confused. Before you answer that, we will get to that. I'm very curious what you mean by that, because I think it's a, it's a funny statement. Edward Lloyd is one of the most iconic dancers of Iseka, um, visually, <laughs> but also <laughs> in his technique and movement. Uh, really a joy to watch and such power. Um, let's, start, let's start with, with um, immediately with a difficult question. Um, <laughs> the beginning of the beginnings of Amio and uh, Peter. Um, they made a work uh, called Bianco. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 1916, 1996, 69, I was going to say. <laughs> that would be a very long time ago. 1996. Um, after that, they made a manifesto. Mm -hmm. And the manifesto was the seven necessities, uh, seven dance principles. For the audience, could you name the seven uh, necessities? Yeah, sure. So I have them here. I'll just read them out. So um, one... It is necessary for me to tell you that my body is curious about everything and I, I am my body. Two, it is necessary for me to tell you that I am alone. Three, it is necessary for me to tell you that I can control my body and play with it at the same time. Four, it is necessary for me to tell you that my body is escaping me. Five, it is necessary for me to tell you that I can multiply my body. Six, it is necessary for me to tell you that you have to turn your head. And seven, it is necessary for me to tell you that I abandon you and that I leave you my statue. Okay. Yeah. Um, before I ask <laughs> which one you relate to the most maybe or which one jumps out the most for you, um, can you tell me what you notice from these seven? I mean, they all have something in common. It's mm. it's necessary for me. It comes out of an urge. Yeah, and it's always towards a you. Yes. Pointing. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me something more that that what you learned from it? Maybe? Yeah. Um. So <clears throat> the necessity. Um, how do I say? The statements that you that are built from the seven necessities are a necessity that comes from you, your body, and you as a performer, and it's something that is necessary to communicate to someone watching you dancing or watching you perform. Let's say so. That's how I relate to them, as they're constructed as statements. Um, and I would say, I relate to all of them anyway. I mean, they're all embedded in the work that we do. In the in the choreographic language, also, so they're embedded um, 
in themselves. They're sort of weaving through the choreographic language. So it's not that I necessarily say, you know, I relate to this specifically, but I can relate to them at different times, at different moments of engaging with the choreographic language or performing. Because um, this has been written down 25 years ago. Mm. So for 25 years, still in the work, somehow these things are so universal that they keep coming back because they touch an essence of performance, is mm. that what you say? Yeah, an essence of performing and an essence of the... Performing. The, yeah, and the movement language. So for example, I mean, I, one that's sort of coming to me right now as I'm reading it is, um, it is necessary for me to tell you that I abandon you and that I leave you my statue. So this is something that I kind of relate to after the end of a performance. Um, and you sort of leave the the experience of seeing the well us dancing <laughs> is kind of embedded in your memory. So it's like sort of mm, yeah an embodied memory, let's say, because you're you're watching people moving, you're experiencing people moving, and it's I leave you my statue. So it's a kind of an offering of what I've presented. Mm. to you and I, I leave you with the memory of what you've experienced let's say that's how i can relate to that and and it could there could be anything as uh, the thoughts that you got from uh, seeing a work and you're still processing mm. what you've just seen with dance many times it only comes after because in the meantime you're taken in by especially in the works of Amy and peter whereas uh it's very layered but it's spectacle at the same time but there's so much layers of meaning that sometimes mm you're overwhelmed by the spectacle that you see and the dancing, and then it takes the moment to make it land. That's kind of what you mean, the moment. Yeah, sure, yeah. Or even just, it can be something as simple as just a feeling, like a feeling that you had when you saw the performance, and I I leave you with that feeling. Like mm -hmm. it can be, you know, it could be sadness, it could be, you know, just a feeling or an emotion, let's say. Um, and and is, that, is that, do you see that as something personal between you and, each member of the audience or like, you know, an individual or as the audience as a group, as mm. like you as a group? Yeah. Is it two forces or is it something on an individual personal level, you would say? Um, I would say it's more of a collective thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I hope to, if I'm performing, I, I would hope to invoke something in the individuals <laughs> that are watching me, but... I guess, I mean, because of the setup of the theater, I would say it's more of a collective experience mm -hmm. that we go through together, you know. So as much as I leave you something, you also leave me something, that a feeling that I had when I performed with, yeah. with you. So in, in, the the, in the sense of these necessities, um, it's also the other way around. So it's always... Some of them. It's yeah. always a mirror, uh, mm. mirroring effect. Yeah. In I'm getting I'm getting into the sentence a lot because I know that for you the inspiration of uh, you're very much interested in how how uh, language and movement are playing roles together mm. and what inspires you and what you learn. Mm. Um, you've mentioned uh, I have to say it right, Ocean Vuong, yep. which is a Vietnamese American Vietnamese novelist poet, um, and you say his knowledge of how language shapes our understanding of the world. Is very inspiring. Yeah. Uh, what can you give me an example, for instance, or how it works for you? Yeah, sure. So, um, 
in an interview that Ocean Vuong gave, he talked, well, he talked, uh, he said something that I really sort of resonated with me, and that was, um, he said, the future is not in our hands, but it's in our mouths. I thought that was a really beautiful way of... In our mouths? In our mouths, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought it was, it was just like really sort of like, yeah. Um, and he also talked about, so let's say, um, for, like, here's a sort of moment concrete example of how he talks about how language shapes our understanding of our, and our way of relating to the world. So um, in American culture, a lot of language used to talk about victory or doing well in something is mm -hmm. linked to, um, it's actually quite a violent language in some contexts, but so you'd say like, you're killing it, you're owning it, mm. you're slaying it. You're... Yeah, yeah. And so, it's more of, he talks about it more as an observation than he's not really critiquing it necessarily, but he's just saying that um, what does that do to us as a, as a person, as a being? To a psyche. Yeah, exactly. When we, when we talk about um, celebrating our successes with this violent use of language. So mm. what is that doing? And I, it's just, the, it's the question of like, what is it doing that I relate to in that sense? And how, how does it affect you? How do you, uh, how do you fight it? Or maybe mm. you don't, how, or do you embrace it? Or, yeah. I mean, I mean I, what, what is the effect of the awareness? Mm, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because then I, I link that more in the, in the way of like, I, how I would use language within the context of dance and dancing. Mm. Um, so then, you know, I mean, a lot of the, um, the work that we do in, in Emmy and Peter's work is uh, the language that we use in the studio to describe what we're doing is very important. It has to be, it's not that it's, it's not a case of like, it's right or it's wrong, but it's, um, there's a consciousness about how we use language to talk about what we're doing with our bodies. So you mean like spoken language? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it's not set. It's not a case of like, it has to be said like this, but um, I guess there's a way of like searching for language to talk about what we're doing with our bodies, what we want to do with our bodies. And I think that line of investigation is important. Mm -hmm. Um, so not finding the answer to something mm. that's not relevant. It's more about in which ways, in which directions can you search. So the doubt, yeah, basically. Exactly, like yeah. Weighing the doubt. Um, is that what you... Yeah. But I think it's also about saying, if we're talking about a specific movement and trying to give language to it, try, like, saying sort of what it's not. Mm. <laughs> Once you say like what it's not, then you start to maybe start to understand what it is. And maybe it doesn't have a verbal language that communicate, that we can, you can communicate what it is that you're doing or what you want to do with your body. But um, yeah, there's sometimes like, if there's something that we can't actually give verbal language to, we often say like, okay, it's not, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of build a sort of um, picture of what it is actually without giving it the verbal language. Yeah. So. In general, we as human beings are better at understanding what or knowing what we don't like than what choose what we actually like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it gives a more playful um, way of discovering and uh, 
and it's much much harder to point what you like and it's also choosing is scary but it also in this way i think it's, it can be an interesting way to say you search um and to use languages to understand not to mm. not to verbalize it to make it concrete which languages and then it's much more abstract yeah. um i want to make a jump okay um to buto yes um you danced buto you know you experienced it um uh, maybe i don't know if everybody knows what is buto dance the japanese form see some nods maybe you can explain in short what what buto is and what it what it's about yes so i i find it quite complex to sort of narrow buto down into a short <laughs> explanation um but basically buto um is a form of japanese dance theater i would frame it as dance theater and it was born out of the um post-war japanese culture and I, to my knowledge it was um a kind of resistance to this uh very fast overproduction uh that happened within japanese culture at the time so japan was trying to sort of um well rebuild their entire country basically and it was going at a very fast speed post after the war um and buto was a kind of uh way of resisting that sort of politically and ethically at the time um and maybe one more sentence I, like my experience of buto i relate it more actually as a as an experience of time mm. if i can like <laughs> narrow it down <laughs> yeah and um why what is your interest in buto why why is it mm. why are you so fascinated by it it's very slow isn't it it's about it it's about be. awareness yeah. it's a bit it, it has a meditational uh purpose i would say right and it's it's very challenging to watch yeah it's, it's very not, challenging to it's do not spectacular <laughs> it's not it's it's very heavy it's also it's it's a bit depressing to be honest <laughs> yeah. isn't it true? uh yeah i mean actually so what i understood that buto is originally i don't remember the japanese word but it's um well it's the it's a dance of darkness yeah <laughs> um so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot about well darkness death dying <laughs> but um i yeah i agree i mean as as someone from who yeah just seeing an image of buto let's say it can be like kind of horrifying yeah maybe in a way the overall mood yeah. of the dance is very pressing very um but i relate to it more as a sort of dying or um a sort of ending of something in order to for something else to mm. emerge yeah let's say so one of the things that i discovered in buto is that um the okay. dancer has to kind of empty themselves <laughs> um in order to fill themselves with um you know the imagery or the the intention of what what the movement is or something so mm -hmm. there's a there's a sort of ridding of the self the a dying of the self in some kind of way mm -hmm. in order to be able to embody some some poetic concept mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a bit of a dervish kind of a mm. 
it's, it's very much about like the mental state and very much in the moment, mm. in, the, in the moment that you are. Yeah. Right? It's about yeah. uh, the awareness, the self-awareness. So in that sense, it's meditative, but it's also very, feels very destructive or self-destructive. But it's actually not about the self-destruction you said by the, mm. but, but by refilling yourself for emptying to be able, like you do with meditation, where you have to yeah. empty yourself. Well, that's my experience of it to and that's actually the for me that was that's the challenging part actually is how i mean how do you bridge yourself how yeah. do you well that's interesting you... because one of the core concepts of amio and peter is the intuitive body yeah um and what we have with the dsdm workshops uh, maybe some of you have done it already the double skin double mind workshop um it's very much about being in a space and feeling that there is an space around you, feeling that you have an inside, a core, and outside, right? Mm. Um, so it has connections with this Bhutto, but it's, it's in a very different way. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Bhutto. Maybe you can explain about what the intuitive body as a, as a concept is within the work of Amy and Peter. Yeah. Then we'll probably also understand, like, and understand you better to see that you're interested in one side <laughs> and in Bhutto at the same time, which is very different mm. concepts altogether. So... I, my understanding of the intuitive body is it's a huge uh, thing <laughs> with many different ways of uh, entering what, what it is, understanding what it is. I relate to it in the sense of exactly what you mentioned, like um, it's a very high state of consciousness um, and also within the the language of the work, we, we talk about the inner body and the outer body. So there's um, a double consciousness happening when you're dancing. Um, and in order for the, the inner body and the outer body to be, um, let's say, alive, there has to be a very high level of consciousness of yourself, of the space, of other bodies in space. So there's a very... Um, um, it's a higher state of consciousness. I sensitivity? Sensitivity. No, absolutely. And also reading sort of, um, yeah, I, I struggle with the word energy a bit, but... Uh, Why? Uh, I'm not sure. I, <laughs> because it's overused or... Uh, it's also a very broad term, I think. I did some, something, but it's also because like performing in a performative context, for example... Um, I relate to the intuitive body as kind of reading energy and using energy as a material to play with while you're performing as well. Mm. So, um, give an example, I, like, well, so I, I read the energy of the audience, let's say, if I, if I can that day, I mean, sometimes it's not possible, but, <laughs> um, so, you know, oftentimes in a theater setting, you can't see the audience, but mm. as when I step on stage, I can, I can read some sort of energy or I can feed back from some sort of energy. Um, yeah. And uh, how does it, so you, your, your dance performance itself changes because that reacts on mm, that? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's kind of like, I find, well, that's how I sort of relate to performance and performing. There's this kind of feed of feedback of energy. So you, 
you're feeding energy, but you're also receiving energy from, or at least that's my experience of performance. It's also what was said in the seven necessities. It's always I. Yeah, exactly. I, I have the necessity to you, and it's also in a way to tell the other, but also the urge of I want it back from you. I need you in order to mm. make my necessity uh, come back. Um, I think it's time for questions uh, from the audience, uh, but. I said you made this funny statement, and I want to know what you mean with this uh, schizophrenic statement. <laughs> you said, dance, my overall opinion is that dance is an identity crisis. It all seems a bit confused. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Are you talking about someone specific? No. I see Victor is here, <laughs> for instance. Victor is also a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to unpack. That's a little bit. <laughs> so it's an opinion, but it's also um, it's more for me an observation. Let's say. Um, so I've been dancing professionally now for ten years almost, which is <laughs> quite a long time. It's not even thirty, <laughs> by the way. Um, and yes so my observation so i'm i'm kind of it's it's a bit complex because you know dance the dance field is so broad and so huge um but from my experience and my observation and i have seen and engaged with dance as it's developed over the past 10 years that i've been involved in the dance field um i see that Mm. Well, yeah, I identity crisis is a bit of a big statement, but I see that it's, so dance has developed a lot, contemporary dance has developed a lot in the past 10 years. Mm. It's branching off into many different directions. Um, it's collaborating with many different fields, which I think is great, like fields of knowledge, mm. like science or philosophy or... Um, Fashion. Or, exactly. Um, but... I think I think the danger with working with other fields of knowledge is that you lose a little bit the essence of the knowledge of your practice. And so I wonder... So collaboration, you mean? Or? Um, yeah, well, collaboration, but co also collaboration out of necessity sometimes. Like sometimes you need to almost like latch on to other things in order to not survive artistically or to you know like sometimes that's just what you have to do mm -hmm. sometimes and so I wonder my big question about this this sort of very big statement is that um I wonder if we all as a field in a global sense share the same mm, let's say values or idea about dance like is that something that we all share in the mm. contemporary dance field that's a question yeah. that i've that's my biggest question i would say and from my experience i i feel that we don't have something in common or it, we don't there's something that we don't share and uh, for a dancer it, it must be in complete agony not to be able to you were talking about this energy and coming back the seven necessities were always about the you the other um, how is it? How has it been so far? With, with, We're yeah. not performing in front of an audience, uh, not being on a stage, yeah. not meeting, giving, getting the energy back from complete strangers. Um, <laughs> it's 
yeah, quite a lot. Um, what does it do to you? For me, well, it forces me to ask more questions, I would say. That's actually. always good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you're, obviously, you're spending less, I mean, it's more of a time thing. Well, it, as a, pragmatically, it's a time thing. So you're not, you're not touring, you're not performing. And that sort of space of touring and performing is, I would say, Mm. it's very different to the time that you spend in the studio researching even though like you know once mm. you once you're performing you can perform as you re you can research as you perform let's mm. say yeah. so performing is also a form of researching i believe it's not like i don't think of the performance as the end or the the product yeah. let's say um also failure is i think something that is part of performance trying mm. an error where you learn yeah, so much more absolutely. and then uh, and and when there's a pressure maybe of of an actual deadline or a, a performance or yeah. you know a moment where you start and you full energy is I guess always different than a rehearsal yeah concentration and energy maybe yeah yeah it's a different um, space to be in I would say um, but yeah I would uh, in this time there's been more reflection. Um, and more emphasis on process in the studio, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Santiago has a question. Um, it's about your previous answer about the identity crisis. I knew that would, uh, that, would, that would get some questions from people. But he says, do you think dance may have an identity crisis because it reflects the time that we live in right now? Mm. Good question. Uh, yes, for sure. I mean, um, the whole idea about contemporary dance is that it's contemporary. <laughs> so, like, it's now. It's happening now, right? Well, that's the, what my understanding of the word contemporary. So, um, yes, I think... Actually, I don't know. I mean, in a sense, I think the whole pandemic situation has kind of forced dance, contemporary dance. I keep saying dance when I say... I mean contemporary dance. Has forced contemporary dance to um, rethink what it's doing, in a sense, um, because we all went sort of online, we went on the screen. Um, so that raises a lot of questions. Like, if, I mean, dance is something that, in my opinion, should be experienced live. It should be a live experience. So what do we do when we take it to the screen? Um, but also, I think this forcing of going online and going to the screen um, has raised questions about sort of how we consume things now. We consume everything through, almost everything through a screen. <laughs> um, and our experiences are um, consumed through screens, mostly, I think. Um, and so where does that leave an art form like dance, which we... Uh, experience live. There's a live exchange going on. Um, yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it does reflect the time that we live in, obviously, because mm. we have to react on your limitations and your possibilities of, of uh, what you can do. Uh, I think it may be an interesting thought experiment. I'm sure none of us have, have an answer to it right now. But something I've been thinking about is that... Um, we, we all said theater or dance, you know, theater as we know it has changed forever. Um, and uh, we have to stop thinking in the old ways and think about new ways. 
One of the new ways, like you said, we are experiencing everything through the screen. Mm -hmm. Do you think that could be a way? Do you think it's it's still it's something to um, research, to search into, to find a way where you get combinations mm. of mm. different media at the same time? So yeah. um, the physical is, for some people, the only way to see it and a must. But for the new generation, it's not so more. You know, I was talking, it's interesting, I was talking to an 18-year-old kid. We were playing, you were playing in uh, Alkmaar. Mm. And I invited some kids, 18, 17, and I said, hey, guys, come with me to a theater. I'll buy you tickets. And we went to the show. I think it was, um, nah, it doesn't matter which show. And we went there, and um, I watched the whole thing with them. And then afterwards, I sat down with them, and I said, so I bought you the ticket this time. Would you go and see this? And I said, well, no. And I said, why not? I said, because it's one hour. I have to go to a theater, and I have to sit here for one hour. I have to watch the whole thing. Yeah. I would like to. I would like to be able to scroll through it yeah. and just watch the bits I like. So the mentality of yeah. this eighteen-year-old is completely different than what we have. So maybe for the future, there could be a way where you make a huge work, and people pick bits and pieces from. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine then mm. being, yeah. being the online not being as something as is as is a disruption, but as something that is in next no, level? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think dance can can be consumed through a screen and experienced through a screen, but I don't think we should completely move to screens. <laughs> um, and I do, mm, yeah, I'm just thinking about what you said. I mean, I, I think one thing that we should do and encourage is to get dance out of theatres <laughs> and into other spaces. Um, and I mean, it's it's already. <clears throat> happening in a way um the sort of the setup of the how dance can be experienced um but some makers are using concepts like hanging out with dance mm. so they're not um situations where an audience would have to sit kind mm. of passively yeah. and experience in this way yeah. but um yeah there are some makers who are doing really great things and they're um yeah audiences have a kind of agency over how they're engaging and experiencing with the piece let's say so i think that's also a good direction to go in although i do think there's something about the experience of a theatrical setting that's a close valid in environment in which yeah because yeah. there's a magic to theater that I don't know if can be really replicated in other performative situations, but I definitely think that we need to sort of expand a little bit yeah. in terms of the well, context. Things, things have that to we... change. Um, we have a question from Susie. She says, after this reflective time, is there one or more of the seven necessities that you feel prevail? Prevails. Mm. Yeah. Ah, okay. Ah, that's interesting. Mm, yes, actually. So it's the one that says, um, it is necessary for me to tell you that I'm not alone, I think. Um, and I relate this more to the quarantine period last year. Um, oh, hi. <laughs> I see you now. <laughs> um, as a sort of uh, response to that, 
Um, I actually, so last year I just moved into a new place um, the first time that I was living alone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this pandemic started and we had the quarantine and I was alone for a lot of time. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's something about confinement and being alone that's quite, an, I found quite enriching. Um, and I can relate to that more. Well, actually, I gave, uh, I interviewed a professor last year. This, some, this time last year, there was, uh, it had an event called, um, I forget the name now. Sorry, it's going to come back to me. But there was a professor who um, wrote about the links between uh, bodies and movement and illness and sickness. And we had a sort of live conversation. And we were talking a lot about um, the movement of thoughts and how the quarantine gave me, well, we were talking about me in relation to her, but it gave a sense of... Um, allowing space for thoughts to move, let's say. Because you, I think, uh, yeah, thinking actually needs time. <laughs> um, and with that time, I noticed that um, my way of sort of experiencing my own thoughts was completely shifting. Um, I'm just trying to relate this back to I'm not alone, but I think more in the sense that um, even though I was alone, I didn't feel alone. I kind of understood that I have enough uh, sustenance to nourish myself, let's say. That was something that's quite empowering to discover, like just being alone um, and understanding that you, you can uh, provide for yourself by being alone, let's say. And I can relate that to maybe in the sort of dance context or a dance practice. Like um, you, you don't necessarily need, in my opinion, as a dance artist, you don't necessarily need to constantly be in relation to the other in order for your practice as a dancer to be or exist. Um, I think it's something that you can really, you can sustain and nourish yourself. So the other can be also not physically mm. right next to you, but still be present. Yeah, I think so. Others, yeah, maybe. absolutely. Because you said I'm um, nearly 30. I've been dancing for 10 years. Um, how many more years do you think you'll be dancing? Or or how do you see the future? I'm curious. Like, What do you see the next mm. 10 years? It's going to happen for Edric. Okay. Oh, that's Victor's Same question. question. Victor. Ah, cool. Okay. Yes. Where's mine, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, I decided some time ago that dance was kind of it. <laughs> For a long time, I was back and forth, and I didn't really know, and uh, other things, and, uh, you know, you kind of go through that a little bit. But um, I, yeah, I decided that dance was it. So I planned to be working in the field for the rest of my life, mm. hopefully, one <laughs> in one way or the other. I Now I'm kind of maturing a bit. I, um, I'm curious to see, 
because 30s, I find 30 as a dance artist <laughs> is a tricky age. Like you, you go through, your body starts to change. You go through all these questions. It's demanding. It's more demanding than before. So, yeah. and unfortunately, I mean, not necessarily, maybe it's a big cliche to say, but it's not that people generally stop around the age of 30, but these questions start to come up, mm. I feel, or talking to other 30-year-old dancers. I feel like we're all dealing with the same yeah, yeah, question. Yeah. I can imagine there are the changes that the perception of, like, yeah. the, the motivation needs to be fed, to be feed, uh, to be fed yeah. differently, I guess, than when you're a young dancer. But I'm actually curious about, <clears throat> actually, what, what does it mean or what is it to mature as a dance artist? Like, what is that space? Because, you know, there's this old, whole thing that happens in your 20s when you're constantly discovering things and you're, you, you feel that your body is, uh, yeah, developing and everything. Mm. And it's not that once you hit 30, you stop developing, but... I'm curious, like, what is that space of a mature dance artist, or mm. more mature dance artist, let's say? Like, what, what, what is it? What does it mean? So for the next few years, I'll be figuring that out. Yeah. And <laughs> um, trying to, yeah, trying to sort of take ownership of that space, yeah. in a sense, because... Um, so you call it the, yeah, the maturing it, phase of your dance. The maturing phase, yeah. yeah. Like, to, to persist, I think. And not that I, I think, you know, if you if you feel like it's time to stop or take a break or leave it for a second, I think that's also valid and great. But, um, yeah, I, I'm curious to, like, carve out that, that space for myself because also I think, also an observation, not an opinion, but <laughs> I think there's, there's a bit of a sort of, um, I don't want to use the word fetishism, but there's, there's this sense of like uh, hunger for young bodies, able bodies, bodies that can do things <laughs> in the field, uh, which I also think, you know, we should nurture new talent and younger, you know, I think that's yeah. also very important. But what I, I don't know, I feel like my age group tends to sort of like, <laughs> they go on for as long as they can until they can't. And yeah. I, I feel like that's really a, a pity. So I, I want to sort of like carve out that. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, making <laughs> sense. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying. To, I'm thinking when you, when you say this, I'm thinking, <clears throat> is it because the body says no more? Please leave me alone. Don't stretch and pull me like that. Or is it because the mind is like, I learned enough with this body. How much more data can I find in the fibers yeah. that is left? How much storage space is left in the fibers and in the muscles and the um. Is it, or is it something from the field that says we like to watch young bodies and young mm. able per people and, and sexy, mm. fresh, mm. insecure faces? Mm. Or, or is it, a, is it both ways? I mean, which one is to you? Yeah. Which one is, which, which one is more demanding, more, mm. more leading in this sense? I'd say, Does like this make for sense? me, my experience, uh, from my experience, the combination of all of it. Let's say mm. <laughs> some things but for yourself. I mean, for myself, yeah. yeah. For myself, I mean, there are things that I just can't do that I used to be able to do mm. or I can still do them but the preparation and the sort of it just takes more and the maintenance of your body as well takes mm. more time yeah. um, and I think also just I mean as a career it's, it's a very demanding career <laughs> and so you want to try to you know I mean as you sort of gain experience as a 
as a being, <laughs> you know, you you gain more responsibility. Maybe you you maybe have a kid. You know, you could. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe you want to get married. Maybe you, you know there's a lot of like other things yeah, in your yeah, life that yeah, you want to yeah. do. Things just add up, and some things need to. Um, but I up. yeah, and I think as a dance artist, you you can do all those things. I think it's more just how you frame your relationship to to dance in your life or something. Um, I lost. I actually lost you. What was your question? <laughs> oh, you're answering it already. Yeah. Um, I was. I was just. I was just wondering. Does it come from a dancer's perception itself to say, "I need to drop some things in order to gain other things," or does it from the field? But you've already yeah. answered. As you see, there's so much more to ask, and uh, I'm sure Edward could talk a lot more about these things, and it's super interesting to to listen to him. Unfortunately, we have to round up. Thank you so much for joining us here and listening and asking questions and seeing your lovely faces. We are this close to meeting each other live. We're getting there. <laughs> um, I can't wait to meet you all live. Thank you so much. Um, goodbye from me. Thank from you Edward. for joining. I'll see you to the next one. <laughs>